Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you all. I talked to Dick and uh, Evie on the way in, and I said, this Sunday is one of the most challenging for the pastor because the Sunday after Easter is notoriously poorly attended. So I am glad that you are here. It would be very lonely if I was here by myself today. So thank you for, thank you for joining us. Um, I uh, asked the folks in the first service to help me with an executive decision. And um, interestingly, I'll tell you about the, how the vote went in just a minute, but the vote was giving me some advice about what I should do in this service. I was sorely tempted in this service to say, one of the snakes got away from the reptile man. (laughs) And I asked the first service, how many of you think I should say that in the second service? And, uh, and, And about half the hands went up, And I said, how many of you think I shouldn't tell them that? And about the other half of hands went up. So uh, I decided that I'd better not do that. Um, We we had various configurations of people lifting their feet off the ground and other things. So as far as I know, everything is secure uh, upstairs and uh, that the kids are having a great time. Well, again, it's good to have you joining us for uh, worship today. I gave uh, Kirk a hard time in the first service because I noticed that the drums got moved over to the side. I thought perhaps he had been a bad boy or something, and we moved him a little bit off stage. But I think maybe they're trying to get a little bit more room back behind me here. Well, we are doing in the couple of weeks after Easter and then on to Mother's Day when Pastor Nancy will share, we're doing what we sometimes call one-off sermons. So often here at North Sound, we do a series And uh, we're in the middle of a series almost all the time, but these are just sort of uh, one uh, sermon at a time over the next couple of weeks, so you kind of get potluck, I guess, in that regard. Today, we are going to talk about coming to terms with life, coming to terms with life. What I mean by this is we are going to talk a little bit about how we progress through different stages of life. And... Um, I'm going to talk about some of us who are getting a little bit older, but those of you that are younger, hang in there because what we have to share today has to do with you as well. I really wanted to show a movie clip this morning. What we have discovered with movie clips is that although we have a license that allows us to show them to the congregation, it doesn't work for YouTube, and because we stream this service, Uh, If the movie clip streams on YouTube, then YouTube can sort of immediately stop the stream from going out, and so we don't particularly want to create issues for all of you who are watching on the live stream today. So I am going to be Billy Crystal this morning. I know I don't look like it, but that's what I'm going to be. And I, I just love this movie, City Slickers. It's pretty old now. I was looking at when it actually came out. It's, uh, I don't know, 30 years old, maybe something like that. And uh, there's, a, there's a piece in the movie that I absolutely love. I think it's the best monologue in the movies that I have ever seen. And so Billy Crystal plays this guy who is going through a midlife crisis. 
and life is not going well for him at all, and in the midst of the turmoil of things at the radio station where he's working, he's been demoted, and life just isn't good. He gets invited into his son's classroom for career day, uh, where, where parents are talking about the careers they're in for the kids to think about what they want to do when they, uh, when they grow up. And so Billy Crystal is in this not a very good place, and uh, he's asked to share, and he comes up to the front of the classroom, and he immediately loses touch with the kids. You know, blank stares start to happen. And I just love in the movie, and you, you can't see it, but the expression on the teacher's face as he proceeds into this monologue about life. So you have to imagine the situation. There are these kids, I don't know, third, fourth grade, the teacher standing in the back, Billy Crystal in the midst of a midlife crisis talking about life, and now here is the speech that he gives to these fourth graders. He says, value this time in your life, kids, because this is the time in your life when you still have your choices, and it goes by so fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. In your 20s, they're a blur. In your 30s, you raise a family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? Your 40s, you grow a little pot belly, and you grow another chin. The music starts to get too loud, and one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. Your 50s, you have a minor surgery. You call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. Your 60s, you have a major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. The 70s, you and the wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. You start eating dinner at 2 in the afternoon, lunch around 10, breakfast the night before, and you spend most of your time wandering in the malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? By the 80s, you've had a major stroke, and you end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand, but you call mama. Any questions? <laughs> Is that not the best description of life and aging that you have uh, you've ever heard? What a, what a perspective. So this morning, we're going to talk about an approach to aging that applies to all of us here, regardless of what age we are. But I'm going to begin with those of us who are a little older. So I retired from the Navy when I was 60 years of age. And uh, this past Friday, I was asked to participate in the service for the uh, Edmonds police officer who was tragically killed in, uh, in Las Vegas. And the part of the service that I had was around military honors uh, for Tyler had served in the United States Marine Corps. So I agreed to do it, but on Friday, when I went to the closet to put on my Navy uniform, I discovered it had shrunk sitting there in the closet. I don't know what the deal was with that, uh, but I somehow managed to get in it. But what the people didn't know that were coming to the service, as I'm attempting to provide military honors and, and have military bearing to do so, um, was that I developed a hernia and I had to get this belt to push on the hernia so I didn't stand up in front of everybody holding my side. And there were other things that were going on. Um, Herb fixed up my knee. I'm still recovering from that. I didn't want to trip and fall on the way up. There's all this stuff going on uh, and um, it, it was a challenge. Military bearing, I'm afraid, was a bit of a challenge and how different how different than it used to be. 
There's no shortage of humor related to this time of life. Earl James sent me something a while back about the insights regarding the perks of being over 50 years of age. Young people, listen to these perks because one day you too will be over 50 years of age. So here are the perks. Kidnappers are not very interested in you. In a hostage situation, you're likely to be released first. No one expects you to run anywhere. People call at 9 p.m. and say, did I wake you? People no longer view you as a hypochondriac. You actually do have some things wrong with you, I guess. There's nothing left to learn the hard way. Things you buy now won't wear out. <laughs> you can eat dinner at 4 p.m. and you can get into heated arguments about pension plans. You no longer think of speed limits as a challenge. You quit trying to hold your stomach in no matter who walks into the room. <laughs> you sing along with elevator music. That's, that's a bad, that's really a bad one. Your eyes won't get much worse. Your investment in health insurance is finally beginning to pay off. Your joints are more accurate meteorologists than the National Weather Service. Your secrets are safe with your friends because they can't remember them either. <laughs> your supply of brain cells is finally down to manageable size. Welcome to being over 50 years of age. What we expect as we grow older has changed over the years. So younger folks, again, I want you to, to stay with us during this, uh, during this particular part of the talk. In 1950, my grandparents retired at the age of 59. And they moved to Southern California. Grandpa wasn't wealthy, but he had worked for the Canadian government for most of his life, and so he had a pension. Uh, he had uh, the Canadian pension plan, the old age pension, and somehow managed to have some social security as well. And they lived well for another 30 years. They were retired for 30 years. Now, Grandpa and Grandma Pike were a great picture of what has been called the golden age of retirement. Just 50 years earlier, before them, a different generation really had no retirement. Social Security was not around, and people were essentially expected to work until they died. And in working uh, until they died, if there was any kind of retirement at all, it was usually measured in months or perhaps even years. And things changed in the workforce as it began to move from farm to the factory. Age was not an asset in this setting. And in the Great Depression, it brought with it a need for older folks to get out of the workforce and for young people to be able to come in and have jobs because unemployment was so high. And so... Uh, FDR, as a part of the New Deal, launched in 1935 the Social Security Program. And my grandparents hit it just about right because in 1950, Social Security payments went up by 77%, and in 1972, they went up by another 20%. Government and pension plans from companies typically helped people out during that season at all. Now we're in a retirement revolution, if you want to call it that, for decades of vacation still 
continues to be the case for some who have retired, but changes in jobs and health have helped people to live longer and healthier, but some of their financial circumstances have been such that they need to continue to work long into uh, what uh, is a, a time and a season in which normal retirement, historical retirement, would have taken place. The landscape has also changed. John Glenn, the first American into space, went back into space at the age of 77. Our president, Joe Biden, is 79 years of age. So I have to tell you, Barb and I have always liked old people. And I, uh, I used to love asking people about the olden days when I was young. Tell me about the olden days. Now I suppose some of us are about to be asked about the olden days. But I love to do that. And perhaps that's why I did a, a, a degree in history in college, because I was interested in the olden days. I was about 20 years old in university when I took a class on social gerontology. Imagine a 20-year-old learning about aging, but I was fascinated with this process that happens in our lives. When I was about 35 years of age, because of a pastoral change in the church I was serving, I was privileged to become the leader of the Pillars Group, which was focused primarily over 60 years of age. And it was such an incredible joy for me at 35 to be able to serve that particular constituency. It was a wonderful time. Now, hopefully, I haven't lost everybody under 50 here this morning because I want us to consider the fact that aging begins about the time we utter our first cry when we're born or perhaps uh, even before then uh, in, in the womb that the aging process starts. We're not young adults forever. It's interesting how as young adults we don't have many wrinkles, we don't have much gray hair, but there's that day when the wrinkles start to show up around our eyes a little bit when we smile and we begin to feel like we're starting to get a little bit older. And then there's that first gray hair. Do you remember the first gray hair? The first gray hair that happens and sometimes um, you get your wife to get tweezers and pull out that one, that, you know, that one hair. Uh, but alas, it's just what is about to come and so uh, the hair comes uh, on and on. And then some of us begin to lose hair in the places where we want to keep it and we get hair in the places where we don't want to have it. I have a little clipper for my nose and for my ears, for those of you young people that wonder what I'm talking about. No matter what your age may be this morning, I want to encourage us to take a biblical look at the process of aging and how it affects all of us. The writer of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, says in verse 28 of chapter 29, some insight into King David's life. He writes of David that, this, he says, then he died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor. Then he died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor. Lots of things swirled around David's life right up until the end. But he seems to have made good progress in a couple of important areas, and that's what I'll leave you with this morning. The first thing is 
David and we need to come to terms to life through grace. We need to come to terms with our lives through grace. Coming to terms with his life that David models for us is completely intertwined with the fact that David got God. David found God and the rest of his life was centered around that relationship. The scripture says that he was a man after God's own heart. That was the starting place for him. David didn't always make good choices, but somehow he got the God part right, and that allowed him to come to terms with his life. I like what Eugene Peterson, the translator of the message version, says about David's life in his book, Leap Over a Wall. He says, David was a God-affirming and God-affirmed life, large and expansive. What Jesus named more and better life than they ever dreamed of, and what St. Paul called the immensity of this glorious way of life God has for Christians. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. David, with all his rough edges, he never got around to loving his enemies the way his descendant Jesus would do it. His morals and manners left a lot to be desired. These aren't narrated as blemishes, however, but as conditions we share. They aren't narrated to legitimize bad behavior, but are set down as proof we don't become good and then get God. First we get God, and then over a patient lifetime, we're trained in God's ways. First we get God, and then over a patient lifetime, we're trained in God's ways. So friends, whether we're nine or 90, when we reflect on our lives, we have to come to the understanding that it's all about God's grace. Whatever we've done in our lives or not done in our lives, we have to come to the conclusion it's about God's grace. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2 verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. He goes on to remind us in Romans 8:28 that regardless of the circumstances of our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that God is at work through that process forming us. Because of grace, there's no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we read in Romans 5, 8, we don't have to carry that sense of being condemned with us because of God's grace. Because of grace, we live humbly, not glorying in what we have done, but in the recognition of what God has done for us. The second thing I want to leave us with this morning is that David and we will live fruitful lives, that we can live fruitful lives all of our days. The text in First Chronicles here speaks of a long life, but it also speaks of the richness of that life, not just lengthy chronologically, but a life that is rich. We know that David did not leave his responsibilities in the last few decades of his life. He continued to continue with the calling that he had, and that was a calling to live a fruitful life. Psalm 92 gives us a picture of what such a life looks like. Verse 12 of Psalm 92, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. 
They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Years ago, we went through the the book 40 Days of Purpose that Rick Warren put out 15 or 20 years ago. And uh, one of the things that he talked about was relative to who we are as individuals was our shape. And that's S-H-A-P-E. And the S refers to the spiritual gifts that all followers of Jesus Christ have. The H is for our heart. It's what we're passionate about. It's what we feel called towards. That's the H of shape. The A are abilities. There are skills that we have developed over the years that God can use to form us and to use us for his kingdom. The P is our personality. It's how we were wired, our emotional intelligence. And the E are our experiences of life. And those experiences of life all come together with the other pieces of shape to form us into who we are And that person that each one of us is uniquely is to be an agent of the kingdom of God. Friends, our calling doesn't stop when we reach 70 or 80. Our shape doesn't change because our hair turns gray. We just move into a season of life where there are more opportunities to serve. So where do we go from here? Well, some of us may be younger and figuring out what our future looks like. Some of us may be young marrieds where we're so busy with children and work in this season of our lives. Some of us are single adults. Some of us are at retirement age and wonder, what does that mean for my future? So I want to ask some questions as I close this morning. What is the purpose? What is your purpose in this season of your life, whatever season that may be? What's your purpose in this season of life, whatever that season may be? If you are asked to do so, could you write your purpose as a paragraph and communicate that to someone else, to share that in a way that someone else could understand? I'm inspired by the words of Teddy Roosevelt about the need for us at whatever stage of life we're in to move forward with our purpose. He says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the one who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end he triumphs, the end, the tri- he knows in the end the triumph of high achievement. And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails, were daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Friends, may God help us to be among those numbered with those who are living for a worthy cause. 
What's your cause? What is it that makes you cry? What is it that gets your blood boiling that upsets you? Or causes you to say those words, somebody ought to do something about that, and perhaps you are the somebody. What gives you joy? Perhaps that's what you should be doing. At North Sound, we encourage folks to engage in what are sometimes called the seven spheres of influence, finding a place to serve the kingdom, often outside the walls of the church, where God's will is done by making a difference in those areas. Some are involved in civic issues, locally or state-wise or nationally. Some are involved in education, business, arts and culture, health and wellness, family and neighborhoods, and of course we want to add the church as a place of service. We can use your help as we seek as a church to be an agent of the kingdom of God, just as God's calling on each of our lives individually is to be an agent of the kingdom of God. Some of us may be dealing with serious health issues. We may be busy with family life in this season of our lives, but we can still pray we can still bite off perhaps something small in our eyes, but great for the kingdom of God nonetheless. I like the way Oz Guinness puts this in his book, The Call. He speaks of the truth of calling, whatever age we may be. He says, all men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake in the day to find it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men and women, for they may act their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. Friends, may God help each one of us to live out our dreams with open eyes that see them become reality. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today for the blessing of your presence. We thank you, Lord, that we live in the memory of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that because you live, we shall live also. And we pray, Lord, that that living of that life would not just be in terms of a certain chronological number of years, but like King David, may we live in the richness, in the flourishing of the life that you have called us to, we pray in Jesus.